Hey everybody, welcome to the Bag and Boardcast, episode number 135. I'm Chris. I'm Paul. And... Wait. What? This is, I'm thrown off now. I know. You know why? Because normally there are three members, because there are three sections of the Bag and Boardcast. That makes sense. Yes. Uh... John, who normally uh, is with us every week, is not here this week. He had prior engagements. He's taking a sabbatical. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell people that. Oh, cool. Episode. When do I get my sabbatical? I don't know. Whenever you're not around tonight, we're going to record. Are you guys going to come over and use the equipment? Yeah, if we can figure it out. Cool. So I'll just, like, close the door and, like, watch play yeah. Xbox games. Yeah. And by yeah. Xbox games, I mean Mass Effect. Yeah. <laughs> Which you still haven't given back I to I know, me. I keep forgetting it. But regardless of who's here, we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being the Week in Geek, bring you the top geek sec- uh, news. You were all thrown off. I know. Bring you the top geek news of the past week. There then we go. Then we follow that up with our... Uh, <laughs> I'm so used to saying something else. I know. Then we follow it up with the list, which is the comic books we're most looking forward to. It's the Wednesday, August 12th. 18th. 18th. 15th. I, I, I never have to know the dates. It's the fif- 15th. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. Definitely That's 15th. 15th. And then uh, we follow that up by bringing you a rotating topic each and every week. Something different. This time, we're since it's just Chris and I here, uh, we're going to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra. Uh, we watched the whole, season, the whole uh, first book. I bought an iTunes pass to do it. Uh, Chris luckily was smart and just went weekly to Nickelodeon.com. Well, I had to wait for them to post the new episode. But, yeah, you could watch it, it, it all took, for free. It took a few days. And they have all the original uh, Avatar The Last Airbender up streaming on Nick.com, too. So if you don't know what we're talking about, you can just go on to Nick.com, watch all three seasons of the original series, and then watch the entire first season of the new one oh, i feel like an idiot now no but you know what you own those like you were able to watch them on your yeah trip i i own i also own uh, book three two different times because i bought the season pass on itunes for oh. book three because i didn't have cable at the time and then i bought it again on dvd and now i can just go to nickelodeon.com and watch book three with advertisements though and i can also just go to netflix and watch the first three books also true but they don't have they don't have Legend of Korra on there. Not yet. And if you want to watch it on Nick.com, they do have advertisements popping up on the bottom, <laughs> as well as um, just running in between, like where the chapter breaks oh. are, and they That's are kind breaks. of annoying. Because um, it's a first. Well, we can talk about that yeah. when we talk about the uh, main topic. But how do we normally set ourselves up? We normally start off by drinking. And yes. Paul, this time um, we both have a beer that we're going to mm-hmm. be sharing. Uh, I brought a six-point because I don't give them enough enough of a sh- fair shake, I think. So I uh, bought their Sweet Action. I do like their uh, their labels quite a bit. Their packaging is quite good. We talked about them before on the podcast. We, we talk about six-point a lot. Um, they do put out decent beers. I think we've always been in agreement that we like them, except for the one, which was just overly pine coney. I don't remember which one it uh, was. Um, Apollo? Might have been the Apollo. Because that was their new IPA this year, uh, I wasn't a big fan of that. Oh no, it was it was um, it was called resin. Oh, because that's the one I was just like licking a pine tree. Oh yes, that's right. Because it was like resin from a tree. Yeah. Um, uh, I think everything else I've actually enjoyed. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this they describe the uh, sweet action as a mix of a rye, a pale, and a cream ale. But I don't get that quite creaminess quite enough I, on it. It starts off with that kind of creaminess, and mm-hmm. then you do get that rye taste on the back of your tongue right mm-hmm. at the very end there. 
but it is it's a very light kind of ghosty yeah a little ghosty it's um, got that creamy mouthfeel at the start and then it just kind of gets overtaken by that rye on maybe, the back end maybe i'm just so you know spoiled by things that are like on nitrous or you know like double milk stouts like for the creamy factor or the mouthfeel because it's almost there but i feel like this is like any other six point where it they all kind of feel this way in the mouth you know yeah. this one it they all have the same kind of texture doesn't have that crisp that mm-hmm. you usually get mm-hmm. um so that's a little bit different on the mouthfeel this one i think is drying out my tongue a little bit more than any of the other ones i've had from them yeah i never feel like they're overly carbonated either yeah like these tiny little bubbles <laughs> you know <laughs> ampersand saying he agrees mm-hmm. um it, it's not bad. I like all of their beers, but they're not one of those like, oh man, you need to run out and try this. If you want, I think a consistent, yeah, decent brewery, um, check them out. We, yeah. I mean, we keep going back to them for different stuff. Mm-hmm. They're, I, I really you know, enjoy the Bengali, yeah, the Bengali Tiger, yeah. Or, um, but for four sixteen uh, ounce cans, it costs you about nine dollars and fifty cents, at least around here. And I think that's a pretty high price point for what I'm getting, though it is a cool look. It's it's a it's a uh, what you uh, you know it's a gimmick kind of yeah. beer I think where brewery more so than you know something that wows me with the taste. But they're also one of the only breweries to comment back on one of your check-ins yes. on uh, Untapped because I insult them on Untapped apparently, <laughs> and, they, and they turned it around. Yes, Paul asked why do all your beers taste the same, and then they reply back. Like, do you mean delicious? <laughs> yes. By the same, you mean delicious. <laughs> Which I I laughed at that because I I do enjoy them. They yeah they're they're good. I wouldn't say they're solid, but you know I, they're consistent. Consistent. Yeah. I think if you're looking to get someone into microbrews, they mm-hmm. could possibly be that good kind of bridge. Like you got mm-hmm. your Sam Adams, your Southern Tears, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'd say your six point is a kind of good step in between. Uh, yeah, maybe a step in between if you have people that are already drinking Sam Adams. But if you get somebody that's just drinking their, you know, buds, but you know, and Budweisers, Millers, and stuff like that, and they're kind of loyal to those, and you, you want to get them into microbrews, I think this has too high of a price point to get them into it because they'll be like, yeah, it's good and everything, but you know, I can buy like a six, eighteen pack for the same amount of money, man. Yeah, you know, and that's true. They could probably buy, but I don't know if they are happy with themselves. Yeah, they're probably not. That's yeah. why they're trying to drink away their pain. <laughs> with 18 of them. With 18 of them. And I'm okay with paying, like, the 9 for a decent beer. Yeah. And that I can go back to the fridge, you know, the next day and be like, hey, I've, I've got another uh, Bengali, or mm-hmm. I've got yeah, Bengali sweet one. action. Bengali uh, I will probably pick up again, but... Uh, and I will tr- always try out what is new from Six Point, but I'll probably never go back other than maybe the Mongolfi, but it'll be few and far between for me. Speaking about few and far between, how about our news section? That was a horrible forced one. It's, it, you know, sometimes our segues aren't the best, and we're down a man, so, you know. Yeah, we got got to make do with what we have. We're playing like if we had a red card, so, you know, <laughs> one of our... Paul's going to be making a lot of soccer references, I feel, because Jai and I decided... Um, Since you'll get them now. We, we are going to be soccer fans. Um, Paul, this is something I talked to you mm-hmm. about like two years ago now when the World Cup was happening. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to become a soccer fan. I talked to one of my other friends, Greg, about soccer because he was huge and knew it. Um, this is something I wanted to be a part of for a while. And you decided to follow in Dean uh, 
Dean Thomas's is that the kid's name in uh, Harry Potter? That is a character in Harry Potter. Yeah, his uh, footsteps by rooting for West Ham. Does he root for West Ham? Yes. Does he really? Yes. That's awesome. I have newfound <laughs> love for Dean Thomas, even though he was making out with Ginny Weasley and it drove Harry crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I have more respect for the man now. Ron always thought it was weird that his posters of the West Ham players didn't move. <laughs> Is it because you just like read that because you're going through yes, reading all of them? I'm now. Re- rereading or reading them because I only read the seventh book uh, before I watched the movie. Uh, what uh, what is it? Uh, potion the potions one. Uh, Half Blood Prince. Thank okay. you. And uh, so. I was I kind of missed that one, so I missed one book, but read the last book because I picked it up at midnight because I wanted to experience that thing at least once because it, I was a fan of the movies at that point. It's a good experience, and I picked up all the books from Goblet of Fire on mm-hmm. at the midnights, which yeah, it's not very many of them, but um, well, that's four. I, that's that's four books with Goblet of Fire. Yeah, four. Um, I like and that's the one to, that I'm reading right now. Goblet. I like going to midnights. Mm-hmm done it for movies, done it for video games, and doing it for books, it's kind of the same, but kind of different, too. Because like, there are little, little kids there. Really? That you don't see when you go to the movies or like video game launches. Mm-hmm. Like There were tiny little kids that were dressed up in their robes, and I was like, this is actually kind of cool. Wow, tiny little kids. A- after the point of Goblet, I was thinking, man, she's just letting the, um, letting the audience age along with Harry at this point. And maybe little kids should stop reading these books. You know, maybe it isn't for the 8-year-old anymore. Maybe it is for, like, the 11, 12-year-old. Hmm. Uh, and I'm hoping always for the 30-year-old. <laughs> I, I, I think that's what the really good thing about these mm-hmm. books is, is the, they might not be age-appropriate with just, like, the content and subject mm-hmm. matter, but they hook people. <laughs> what I love is I think now all parents have just given up with like trying to read what their kids read and just say as long as the kids are reading. Basically. <laughs> because most parents are probably lazy and don't want to read themselves. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, most parents just don't have the time to read because they're, they have to raise children. Yeah. Yeah. For them. My mom didn't have to raise me. She would just put a book in my hand. I would just sit there reading in my room. There you go. She would drink. I, that's not true. That's not- Mom, I'm just joking. She listens to this podcast. She's one of our listeners. She, she does check out our episodes because she'll talk to me about beers. But, uh, yeah, but so news. news other than Dean Thomas from Harry <laughs> Potter books from, like, ten years ago. We're rooting for West Ham. Oh, fantastic. Um, start off with a little bit of sad news. Um, Joe Kubert, who you may mm-hmm. know from his work over at DC Comics, has passed away at the age of 85. Yeah. Um, most motiv- nah, known most notably for his Sergeant Rock work. As his well as wartime comics, you know. Relaunching uh, Hawkman during the 1970s, too. Um, as well as founding what I think might be one of the first actual schools for comic book artists, mm-hmm. the... Um, Joe Cooper School, mm-hmm. which he has other comic book artists come in and teach seminars and classes at. Um, not a favorite artist of mine, but he's one of those names that mm-hmm. when I see him on something, I'm like, wow, okay, this is something that it's almost being blessed by his presence because he, he was one of those legends. Like, he was a name. Like, he's a dynasty. Uh, one of my favorite, uh, you know, I, like myths or stories I've heard about uh, Joe Kubert was, uh, you know, in the era of having to actually FedEx uh, pages back and forth between the publisher and 
the artist uh he he sent a box in to the publisher to get approved to the editor to get approved the editor opened it up and the box was empty and he called up Joe, oh my goodness, the pages are missing. What happened? Did he forget to put them in the box before sealing them? Where are they? And Joe's like, open up the box. And he's like, I did, I did, it's, it's empty. He's like, no, open up the box. Apparently, uh, I don't know if he just ran out of paper or what, but he actually drew the page that needed to be finalized <laughs> on the inside of the FedEx box on the brown thing, on the brown cardboard. And um, that actually led to him doing, I think it was the cover for Jing Shaw. Uh, the war book about Vietnam, uh, and you can pick that up in the hardcover from DC Comics. I have it on my shelf somewhere. Yeah, I, I know you. you I, I would keep on glancing over to my shelf looking for it. Paul Paul wants me to say it, so he's holding the book up. It's Dong Shao, Vietnam, nineteen sixty five, uh, written and illustrated by Joe Cooper. Uh, and this is a hardcover that just came out, I think, two years ago, and it's twenty five bucks. But I think it's well worth it. It's basically all just illustration no panel breaks just you know straight up you know to basically a uh, huge work all pencil work and it really shows off his artist chops um you don't really get much background but it is highly detailed and the depiction of the soldiers and also the people that they uh, come across and the cover there that is what exactly what i'm talking about you can see that it was drawn on cardboard because you can see the texture uh, on the cover itself, so, and he actually did probably one of my favorite stories from one of the older DCU holiday specials, where it was the uh, Sergeant Rock one, but it's t- like taking place in the trenches. Oh, okay. During uh, holiday, and there's like the German soldier, all, or, like the all quiet's on the eastern yeah, front kind of thing. Yeah, w- which is great because he doesn't need to put in a lot of crazy background detail mm-hmm. because he does focus on more of that human element and the characters and just their stories in his work. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're looking for something a little bit more superhero-y from him, I know we're predominantly a superhero comic book mm-hmm. podcast. We do talk about other stuff because we dabble, but um, he's actually doing the artwork for the Before Watchmen Night Owl book that's coming out now. Or he did. Which I don't know how much of a head mm-hmm. start that they have on these because I know at least four of the issues have been solicited, but... um. Written by J. Michael Straczynski. Uh, so you might want to check that out if you don't know who we're talking about, but you're a fan of comic books. Yeah, uh, I think uh, basically he's best known known for his war kind of stories and also for having two sons that are also working in the industry, Adam and, uh, Adam Adam and Andy. Andy, there it is. Uh, so there, you know, it's sad when, uh, when these creators kind of pass because this is like one of the first... Uh, genres of of entertainment that the creators are now passing in that i've grown up yeah you know like music wise i'm not a big music fan but you know the punk rock people aren't really dying that often uh you know that i the pop punk stuff or anything that i like nobody from green days died yeah. you know uh nobody from rem's died really so far right maybe <laughs> the drummer that had the brain aneurysm uh none of my you know video game heroes have are anywhere near passing yet so it's kind of weird that these people are now uh i'm old enough to see them pass and it's it's kind of sad and he was 85 and this was just from natural causes i'm assuming mm-hmm. like i couldn't see anything in the article that would say otherwise i didn't mm-hmm. I, I might have dropped the ball and not totally researched it but it, it it's sad like yeah he's a comic book legend you know, it, and it's it's depressing. 
I'm I'm sad now. Don't because he be wasn't sad. like I said he was one of my my favorite artists. But when you see him on a project, you know it's something yeah special. They made sure that they actually. It seemed like when they, he was on a project, they wanted to really highlight that project by bringing him on, and hopefully he had enough, you know, going for him because he is an early cotton comic book writer or artist. So sometimes you kind of worry about whether or not he still has to take the money in any project that's thrown to him, or if he had enough going for him where he could just be like, nope, I'm working on the good stuff now. I, I feel like that was the case because who, Sar- Sergeant Rock books. I mean, I don't <laughs> think those sell like gangbusters. I mean, what Men at War didn't sell crazy. Nope. He, he did some artwork for that. I, I think he was just a person that loved doing comic books. I mean, he raised his sons to draw comics. Mm-hmm. He started a school for comic book artists, like pencilers, inkers, colorists. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was a guy that was just doing it for the love of the medium. And what what better legacy than that? Yeah, very true. Teaching a bunch of other budding artists how to how to do what they do. And I, I hope a lot of artists grow up looking at his work because it is so story driven it's so about so much about you know getting the expression on the character's face which sometimes becomes missing when we're talking about superhero comics where it's all about you know being you know especially with the 90s more muscles and more just action and not anything about you know character yeah. or expression I, I feel like a lot of artists don't really focus more on that they're just focusing on the story storytelling like okay what's the story being told mm-hmm. not the characters actually telling it yeah. and that's why i think someone like gary frank yeah. um, amanda connor mm-hmm. they just do fantastic because they bring out like the human the in that character. Yeah. i agree fantastic fantastic let, let, let's move on to some happier news or uh, something that might get us excited that fantastic four is going to continue even after DC or Marvel said that they weren't going to have the Fantastic books. Really? They're continuing on? Yeah, both books actually are continuing on, Fantastic and FF. Uh, The writer-artist teams have been announced uh, for FF. It's Mike Allred, and I will have to look at who's going to be doing it, uh, doing the writing. And uh, pause. Yeah, no, and then Matt Fraction is going to be doing Fantastic Four. And the FF is not going to be focusing on the Future Foundation. It's the Extended Family which is going to include, like, Medusa. Um, okay. I think Ant-Man's in it for some reason. And, okay. You know, like, weird stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting. It's all part of the Marvel Now kind of a relaunch, but not a relaunch. But now they're calling it a relaunch, so but I don't even know. But it's not because it's mm-hmm. continuing but it's, on. But it's Fantastic Four number one, and it's uh, going to be FF number one. So those books are definitely being relaunched because they're having new number ones and new writer creator teams on it so uh i'm not sure if i'm picking those up i i think you will it's fantastic for paul yeah but matt fraction was such a letdown on fear itself mm. i'm afraid but you love fantastic four so I you're gonna do. be picking it up don't play it cool but i have no love for ant-man or you know medusa well and it, there's this weird girl with pink hair like in a thing costume on the cover of ff number one i don't know what's going on <laughs> I have no idea. I have no clue. I don't know. Well, I'll tell like, you. All right. You, you might not He's like a madman. <laughs> you might not like Matt Fraction, but creator I'm excited about is Joss Whedon. What? Why wouldn't you be? I I love everything this man does. Um, 
Even apparent- sing-along blogs. <laughs> that was fantastic. I want them to do more. They're going to come to uh, CBS or CW? CW. CW. Yeah. Um, but Marvel is also a big fan of what he's done, signing him to an exclusive film and TV deal through the, uh, 2015. Um, going forward, he's going to be writing Avengers number two whenever we get that. And directing it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But also the uh, unnamed, unreally talked about too much Avengers spinoff TV show. Which, who knows where this is going to be going, but Joss Whedon is a man who knows his TV. Uh, since this is owned by Disney, I'm assuming we're going to be getting this on something like ABC. So it's not Fox, mm-hmm. which yes. means it's probably going to have more than you know four Eight or episodes. five episodes showing uh, before it gets Not in order. Cut. So in order, and not canceled before the series even be is aired because uh, baseball hit, yeah. you know, supplants it. Um, what, what I'm hoping for with this is a really awesome, funny, smart, action-packed S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. Give me something. S.H.I.E.L.D. I, TV I, I, show. I want this focusing on S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, maybe do it like a quote-unquote supervillain of the week show mm-hmm. where they can maybe take on some of those kind of crummy smaller villains mm-hmm. like give me the wrecking crew in an episode <laughs> and it's up to shield to take them down because you're not gonna i think get a, a wrecking crew in like thor 3 or anything mm-hmm. like that and i think that's something that they can really do marvel has this universe of over five thousand characters mm-hmm. that's what they kept mentioning when it was announced that disney was buying them like getting complete access to all those characters let me see those crummy characters that are kind of laughable. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know they probably can't get Claw because he's probably a Fantastic, Fantastic Four, Four villain, villain, which is tied up over at Fox. Mm-hmm. But give me that kind of villain yeah. on a TV show. Like, I don't need two hours of a Claw, mm-hmm. like, villain plot. Give me a half-hour, hour drama, like, focusing around, like, a small team of, like, mm-hmm. S.H.I.E.L.D. newbies or something. Yeah, it's going to be hard because those villains, you know, they get introduced in some book, and that's where they're kind of tied into. Like, we've talked about Fantastic Four with, you know, Fox and how Claw, Galactus, Silver Surfer, those characters are all over at Black Panther, of course, would then be over at Fox. Yeah. Uh, any, uh, so, the Mole Men, you know, they, their staple of villains are going to be there. Doctor Doom over at Fox. Um, then you have Daredevil and Spider-Man, all those villains. So but I don't know where Wrecking Crew was first appeared, you know? Well, they're normally like Thor villains because they got their powers from the oh, villains. Yeah. But I, I think it's cool that you brought up like Daredevil and stuff because mm-hmm. the rights are about to lapse on that, too, over at Fox. Mm-hmm. And who knows what we could have. There's been talk of possibly a deal coming around where Fox can keep those rights, but Galactus and Silver Surfer and all those Fantastic Four mm-hmm. characters might revert back. Yeah. To Disney Marvel, then? Fox has come out and completely denied any kind of talk has happened, but that doesn't mean that they've denied that it would happen. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing with uh, Studio Speak. And, our, you know, Fantastic Four did fairly well. Daredevil didn't do that great. Are, do I, they really think that they would launch? I would think they would rather hold on to Silver Surfer and those characters, and especially like uh, any of the Fantastic Four properties, because those have done better than Daredevil, mm-hmm. and rather have Daredevil lapse back to Marvel. I here's the thing: I think that would or be Ghost smart Rider, <laughs> but they went ahead and did a budget Ghost yeah. Rider movie. Um, 
that I I saw it like I didn't think it was terrible. It was crappy, entertaining, like Friday Night Movie stuff. <laughs> I think what would be smart for them though is holding on to Fantastic Four rights and then selling those back to Marvel Disney because Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Galactic in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, you're gonna think about Silver Surfer. You're gonna have Galactus mm-hmm. pop in your head. I, if they do go ahead with Guardians of the Galaxy, like it's looking like they probably mm-hmm. will, I can see Marvel Disney really wanting at least those characters back. Well, they can't get the because of the X Men. They won't be able to get what Gladiator. Yeah. Or uh, well, the Kree with the Fantastic Four. That that's why we had the Ultimate uh, version of the Kree. Yeah, uh, and or uh, the scrolls. That, that was a scroll. Yeah, but you won't be able but, to get the Kree either. But there's so much to these deals, like because yeah. who knows the Kree could be considered Avengers mm-hmm. villains. Good because you had the whole like Kree yeah, war, like the Kree scroll war in Avengers, yeah. and uh, the Avengers fought Galactus with Fantastic. But yeah, and that makes your head hurt. I, you don't I feel want- bad for who, like whatever lawyer has to be locked away in a closet, like looking over all this stuff because this character appeared first in this book but they appeared more over in this one it's, it's, I think if it goes with the first appearances <sighs> so and it was kind of weird remember Marvel's website had that whole web of uh, characters and yeah. where they first thing and I'm like wow that was actually quite interesting quite powerful maybe I'll look it up so I know what you know where everybody fits it's gone it's gone yeah you can't find that <laughs> they discovered that their uh, competition was using it to lay claim to certain characters i'm guessing <laughs> yeah more than likely you know like all right well who who can we get we better and it would be funny if they like if movie studios were like oh we really wanted this character like and i'm thinking that's why fox did rise of the silver surfer in the name to hurry up and make sure they got late claim to Silver Surfer in the movies. Yeah. Because now they could honestly do a spin-off. Even yeah. though, like, did they buy the rights? It's so weird. It, it's so bizarre, but I wouldn't mind seeing the rights for Daredevil going back to Marvel. I would love an awesome Daredevil movie mm-hmm. more than I would want a great Fantastic Four yeah. Galactus Silver Surfer movie. I, You probably feel the complete opposite, though. Uh... It would be hard to do a Silver Surfer Galactus movie, I think, because you would want him to be the epic end of a trilogy, like, this is what's happening now. Mm. You know, like, it's the Avengers versus Galactus. You know, Avengers 3. That would be awesome, but it won't happen, and I'm not worried about it happening. Um, Because they got Thanos, but Guardians of the Eighth Galaxy, I'm like, man, who who are they going to go up against? Like... You know, X. You know, all I know about the galactic kind of uh, squads are from X Men and Fantastic Four, and they're yeah. not with Marvel. <laughs> and I'm like, so who 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 that, are they going to fight? That could just be us not knowing. Yeah, Ronan the Accuser. I, I feel like he would be a Fantastic Four villain, though. But I don't know. But didn't he pick up Thor's hammer for a while? I don't even know everybody that picked up Thor's hammer. There was a frog Thor. Yeah. There was also. Uh, Beta Ray Bill. Beta Ray Bill's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I've never read anything about him, but just the visual of the character. Mm-hmm. Man, it's very confusing. It's pretty. It it's kind of timey-wimey. Mm-hmm. It is very confusing to w- understand whether Ben Affleck is an actor or a director. Yeah. He did well in the t- with the town. 
where yeah. he both he directed that, right? And and starred in the town. I'm not John. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> We're not the movie guys. Where is John? Come on, <laughs> darn it! You know, uh, taking your taking your breaks away from the podcast, throwing it all on us. Directed by Ben Affleck. Okay, okay good. And uh, and that was critically acclaimed. And so there was a rumor that hey, you know what would be awesome? Who's a big comic fan? Kind of like Josh Whedon is a big comic fan. Uh, ben Affleck, and he's a director, right? Did he do the town again? That's, <laughs> this is how the meeting went. And they're like, let's check IMDb real quick. <laughs> and they, then, then they did, and they're like, oh yeah, people like that, right? Yeah, people people like that guy. He he'd be a good director for for uh, Justice League movie, right? Yeah. And then Ben Affleck's like, no, that that doesn't happen. <laughs> people didn't ask me. Yeah, I I don't hate the idea of him directing a Justice League movie. I hate the idea of a Justice League movie right now. <laughs> Especially if you listen to our last episode, you how can you even begin talking about a Justice League movie when you don't have a, the characters for a Justice League in the DC Universe yet? It will feel like five different movies put together, because I don't trust DC to do it right right now. No. Marvel wins. Because Green Lantern felt like two movies put together. Yeah. Oh, so, no. Exactly, and it will feel like uh, DC just chasing the tail of Marvel, you know, riding the coattails of Marvel, if they did. But, you know, um, I, I would like to see him direct some superhero fair, you know. Yeah. I, I would like to see him on, you know, any any superhero project. Uh, hmm, that's a good qu- Chris, is there any book or comic book character you'd want to see Ben Affleck direct? I... I wouldn't mind seeing him handle Daredevil. I he's a Daredevil fan. Mm-hmm. I liked him in Daredevil. I yeah. think he gets the character just because he loves him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see him just kind of going more realistic, though. I don't, yeah, I don't want to say well, Punisher, the but well, with the town, I guess he would kind of think something kind of like Hype Steve driven, maybe a maybe a Power Man and uh, Iron Fist movie together again, um, a little Heroes Inc. You know what? Give me the hood. The hood? Based off the Brian K. Vaughn series. The villain. That would be great. That would be pretty awesome. I, I think that could actually be a pretty cool movie. Mm-hmm. Guy, a low-level, like, just street criminal, stumbles upon some kick-ass, like, ancient mystical artifacts mm-hmm. and gets superpowers. And Brian Michael Bendis would be on board because he's been writing the hood, and he'd probably be like... No, I've been writing this character now for a while when Brian came on left and, you know, I really took up the mantle, took up the baton of... So he'll be on the DVD extras, yeah. and that's kind of needed, right? That's, that's in his, uh, his contract, right? I, I think so. He has to be on every DVD I, extra. I haven't bought a DVD in forever, though, so... Brian Michael Bendis has to appear. I know he was on all the Spider-Man ones, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. But, uh, yeah... There it is. Ben Affleck not doing Justice League. No. No. DC probably not doing it. DC's probably not going to be doing Justice League. They can't even get a Flash going. No. The Flash movie going. No. Or Wonder Woman. Or Wonder Woman. Uh, this feels too much like 134. I know. Because but, Josh Whedon can't write it anymore. Yeah, because he's going to be over at Marvel. Two-year exclusive deal for film and TV. Slip um, through their fingers. They had them. That's what's the most depressing you know about it. Avengers has done an ungodly amount of money. I think it's what uh, eighth overall for all, or fourth overall for all time. Him, uh, Avatar number one, 
then Titanic. Titanic's up there. Uh, Deathly Hollow, I think, still beats it. I think two. Twilight was up there too. Now, yeah. Well, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's it's not a big thing for us mm-hmm. because it's just smart for them to say like, okay, everything worked really together. Who was responsible for bringing this together? It's number three. It's Avatar, Titanic, and the Marvels, the Avengers, wow. all time domestic. Dark gross. Knight, Star Wars, Phantom Menace, still on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dark Knight Rises is Shrek number fifteen. Two, number seven. number seven. That, that actually surprises me. Star Wars number six, the original Star Wars from 1977. But it's had multiple releases yeah. in the theater. So, And, and there's going to be more, so look for that to climb. Yeah, with 3D. Yeah. But they're starting with episode one first. We've got like All two people. more years and the original Star Wars start coming uh, out. For the original, for the, uh, the non-3 trilogy, all geek boycott. Come on, you guys. We're better yeah. than this. Let's not go see Phantom We're not. Menace. We're not Don't better than this. Don't go see Phantom Menace in 3D. That's all I'm saying. Don't do it. We're better than that. I I disagree. You know we're not better than that, Paul. I'm not watching it. I'm not going to the theater to watch Phantom Menace in 3D. I'm not going to do it. Well, you missed the boat because it already came out. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, good. I didn't see it. I'm I'm proud of myself. <laughs> That's how much I hated it. I blocked it out of my mind. Yeah, it came out like last yeah, year, last December. Nah, yeah, they had the Super Bowl ad and everything. Now, now it's all coming. You know what? You know what I did? Perception filter on myself. Yep. You know, I decided to not remember it. Perception. Now you forced me to remember it. How dare you? I'm sorry. Now you're making me miss Doctor Who. Oh, uh, Doctor Who. Speaking of, we've got our first glimpse at Doctor Who Season 7. Um, you know how long I worked at that segue? That took you a while. I know. <laughs> um, we've gotten two sneak peeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, the original teaser trailer, which showed a, what looks probably to be about maybe like three episodes of clips. Mm-hmm. Kind of smattered together. And then another one, which was a little bit longer, which is uh, focusing more on the Doctor in the Old West. Which yeah. actually looks like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um Kind of Back to the Future three like. Uh, hated Back, Back to, to the, the Future, Future three is not bad. It, anything past one is bad from Back uh, to the Future. I just rewatched all of them and they're pretty great. <laughs> okay. It was it was a fantastic three nights of movie watching <laughs> with, no uh, with John Wright. Oh, uh, he's not here. And no matter what Facebook says, 2015 <laughs> is back is one Back to the Future happened. Yeah, it's not not any other time. Let's not jump the gun. Come on. You gotta bet down in Vegas. <laughs> that the Cubbies are gonna win Cubbies. the World Se- that the Cubbies are gonna win this World Series in two thousand fifteen. Me and every other nerd. Yeah, everyone else that paid attention to the back future. Yeah. I know that was from two. Stop emailing me. <laughs> I hear you clicking. I watch them. I enjoy them, but they're still not as good as the first one. That's Fact. all I'm saying. That's true. But uh we're not talking about that, we're talking about Doctor Who. And there's a teaser, which, uh, man, the British just love their, basically, uh, Sherlock Holmes figures. Because that's who, the Doctor is a time-traveling, space-traveling Sherlock Holmes. He notices things. Yeah. That's I, involved. I'm really looking forward to uh, more Dalek stuff. Mm-hmm. Looks like we're getting some more weeping angels. Yep. A baby weeping yeah, angel. creepy and um, dinosaurs on a spaceship, which is actually the name of that episode. That's that's cool. I wish it was dinosaurs on a spaceship. That's cool. Dot dot dot. Are cool. <laughs> are cool. 
like it, that's that's what it needs to be. Well, I walked by somebody with a uh, T-shirt that had a bow tie on the top and said bow ties are cool, and I'm like, really? Wow. Okay. Cool. People like Doctor Who, <laughs> and I can't blame them. Nope, it's fantastic. Um, I'm looking forward to season seven. You're almost caught up on mm-hmm. the uh, series six stuff. Yeah, because I don't want to rush out and, and and spoil it all for myself. Because He's, you gotta you gotta divvy it out. You gotta put yourself on a small IV drip of Doctor Who every oh once in a while. Oh no, you it's so good. You power through all of it and then you go back and rewatch them. I know. Because then you get so much more. And when does it start next next year? I, I honestly don't know. 2013. You know, in the in January 2013. Uh, hopefully, I think they usually. See, I don't know. I don't have cable, so I've never yeah. actually seen them on well, the and BBC. And also, we don't see them on the BBC anyways. They come to BBC America like two weeks after the BBC actual premiere. Yeah. So it's tough for us. But, uh, yeah, I'm totally stoked and excited. Hopefully that will be on the iTunes. That, that's another one I'm going to be streaming online as soon as they come out. Yeah. Oh, we wish we had the BBC One player. Yeah. Because then you could just stream them while they were playing or a couple days after. It's like the Hulu of of uh, British television. Yeah. Well, we might not be able to see Doctor Who when it comes out, but at least we always have our comic books coming out each week. That's very true. We do have our comic books coming out each and every week. August 15th, this Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And I'm most looking forward to X-Factor number 242, which numbering I still don't understand because I've tried to count it out. It doesn't make sense. But uh, this seems to be the end of X-Factor. At least that's what they're saying. But with a new Marvel relaunch happening soon, that's not a Marvel relaunch. It's a revolution. Uh, It is Breaking Points Part 1, written by Peter David, longtime writer, and artist by longtime artist on X-Factor returning, Leonard Kirk. Mm. So uh, here we're going to have just... Very character-driven moments, uh, which I love from Peter David. Uh, he really does put his these characters through the ringer. Uh, and it's going to be a two-part issue. First part, uh, strong guy. Does the unthinkable. Hey, Guido! Yep. And two characters, part two is two characters he never thought would come face-to-face are finally reunited. And I'm going to hope that it's Banshee and Siren. Because hmm. uh, Banshee's been dead in the Marvel Universe for quite some time now. I honestly didn't even know he was dead. He died in uh, the... What was the X-Men crossover thing before uh, they went out in space with uh, with H- Havoc and Cyclops' uh, third brother, Vulcan? Oh, my God. That was written by... Uh, I don't even know. That stuff. That That's before I started reading X-Men again. Yeah. That's when that happened, though. Wow, well, yeah. That's been since I wasn't. That, that was Deadly when Genesis I, when they yeah. had the third Summers Brother revealed. Mm-hmm. So it was before Deadly Genesis, right before that. I think. That was years ago now. Holy crap! It was before M Day. Yeah. So it was back when I was still in college. So it's been quite a while. Been over eight years. That's depressing. Or maybe that, eight that eight long years. ago. Seven eight years. Yeah. Wow. But it's been dead for a while then. Yeah, yeah, but not as long as. Jean Grey. True. She can stay dead. But or she, she won't. Uh, she won't. She's all over those Marvel Now things. Mm, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, but that's because they've taken her from before she died and into the... So it's her from the past? Because, you know, that's what they're doing with that for some reason. Before she got married to Scott Summers, even, I think. So. Mm. 
Mm, I sense another triangle. Yeah, yeah. I hope not. I enjoy Sky uh, Cyclops with Emma Frost. Yeah, I, I like him a lot too. I think it's a better fit than it's him a, and Jean for some reason because they challenge each other. And Scott always seemed whiny and always chasing after Jean, and I don't think he ever deserved it, you know to to be chasing. You know, it wasn't worth the chase. It just didn't seem to fit for his character. He should have been more focused on leading a team than worrying about what Gene was thinking. And that's what I love about the Emma-Scott dynamic is that he will lead the team and Emma will disagree and then he'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then he'll be whiny there, but in the background he won't be whiny in front of the whole team about it. That's one of the things about Cyclops, though, is he's always been whiny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't mind, you know, that's you take him being whiny, but now it's lessened, I think, a little bit with the Emma dynamic. I, I will agree with you on that, because he's been a lot better mm-hmm. ever since I started reading New X-Men, and then stopped reading every X-Men book, and then started picking it up again with Wolverine and the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Because he's fighting Wolverine again. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, that's what I want out of my comic books. Yeah, you want Sky, uh, Sky, uh, Cyclops to fight Wolverine. And when they're getting along, it's just not as good. I also want some Kid Flash. Yeah, you do. Which is why I picked this book two weeks in a row, because it apparently was on the wrong week on DC's website, which is horrible. Mm-hmm. We are a comic book podcast. We look at our comic books that are coming out the week the week we record. Mm-hmm. And on, if you, on the Sunday night before we record. If you have... Like the wrong week up, or your website is incorrect. We're providing the wrong information for our listeners, and that's a bad move, especially when your website sucks. And when I'm looking at, and it says this week is uh-huh. August eighth, and then I hit next week, and it comes up August twenty second. There's a missing week in there, yeah. and that's the week that I needed to look up. Yeah, and that's what happened to us last week, where we hit next the following week, and it jumped us two weeks ahead, and we didn't notice, and we picked books from that week. So everything I said last week holds true. DC Universe presents uh, number twelve by Fabian Cieza and oh, I'm blanking out on the others. Jorge. Oh yeah, Jor- uh, Jimenez, right? Jimenez, uh, I believe maybe it, it sounds is. like something I would have said. Yeah, Jimenez. Jorge Jimenez. Yes, um, covered by Ryan Sook. You're getting some Bart Allen. You're going to get his origin story in the DC New 52. I'm looking forward to it. I can't say anything that I didn't say last week. You know, I enjoy the Kid Flash, new Kid Flash costume. I like it a lot. It, it It's part Kid Flash, part Impulse, mm-hmm. which I think works. Yeah, because I know uh, when we talked to like Ethan Van Skyver about the redesigns for uh, Wally West's costume because they wanted to do something different to make him stand out from... Uh, Barry Allen, who was coming back. Which they only showed Wally West for maybe like three months. Yeah, and they just made his his costume darker and more of a straight line across the mask instead of the nose piece up um, cut in thing. Uh, You know, he said he had a hard time, a little, you know, he had some really drastic ideas about it and then that uh, all, all came flat, you know, just didn't go anywhere apparently with editorial. So it's kind of cool to see a more dynamic uh, look for the Kid Flash now. A little bit, yeah, like you said, a little bit more impulse, but you still got the the hair, yeah. which I think the Kid Flash kind of needs. Hair it works, because all the other Flashes, they keep it covered up. Mm-hmm. Impulse, Kid Flash, Bart Allen, whatever you want to call him, he's always a little bit more wilder and free. Yeah, but Wally West also had the hair out when he was Kid Flash. That's so. true. So I, I enjoy that uh, striking image. But you know what I like? What do you like? Our next beer. 
Oh, yeah. It's one of our favorites. I thought you said it was too early to drink this beer. Might be too early because we were talking about doing this for when it gets a little bit closer into fall. Um, mm-hmm. It's another pumpkin beer. Remember, we talked about these last year. This is the Southern Tier Pumpkin. And I've had this bottle in my refrigerator for almost a week now, and I've thought about opening it multiple times. And I just couldn't wait anymore. I'm just so happy you decided to open it up <laughs> so with me. So it's not too early mm-hmm. because we will be having this again. Oh, this is this is the bag and board winner of the pumpkin contest uh, last year, where we uh, measured up a bunch of the pumpkin season, uh, seasonal ales. And this is an imperial, and uh, so it is 8.6 alcohol by volume. Yep. And uh, it's supposed to be served in a goblet, but we're just drinking we're it just from pints. We're drinking out of pine glasses because John's not here, so he got more. Thanks, bud. Yeah, thanks. Uh, but uh, it's just so delicious. It's like pumpkin pie in the glass, like uh, Chris said, and I believe we all agreed last year. Yeah, It's so smooth, though, for being 8.62. You don't get that alcohol burn. You just get that nice pumpkin-y spice. It's, mm-hmm. It says right on the bottle, um, pureed with pumpkin. They give you kind of the outlay of everything. Um the kettle hops are magnum. Aroma hops are sterling. I, I've honestly never really gotten a hoppy smell from this mm-hmm. because it's you get that nice kind of nutmeggy, mm-hmm. cinnamony taste and nose. Yeah, but those you know the betas and alphas of the hops could be a lot different where they're just a lot more mellow because yeah. like I always remember uh, you know the one hop I always remember seeing on the IPAs that I enjoy is Cascade hops. Cascade hops, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, oh okay. I will drink this beer. It has Capscade hops. Which is, I think, what gives you that citrusy. citrusy. Yeah. Which you couldn't have with this. No. It, just, it so, would ruin it. Yeah, so probably bounces it out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why they use those hops, and we're just not quite there yet to recognize every hop like that. I, like I said, I have Cascade hops on my list, and that's about it for the list of hops that I can taste and be like, I think there might be Cascade. Oh, Yes, yes, there are. A couple years ago, um, Blue Monk, which is a Belgian beer bar here in Buffalo, had beers from, I don't remember the name of the brewery. It was some place over in England hmm. where they had one beer. The like the recipe was the same, but each time they brewed it, it was with a different type of hops. And they were actually going to be having like a tasting party oh, wow. there where they you were going to get a sample of each one mm-hmm. just to kind of compare them all together and see how the hops actually affect everything about like mm-hmm. the aroma, the taste, the feel. And I thought that was actually going to be a really cool idea, but it was really expensive to go check it out because yeah. it was such like a limited thing mm-hmm. that the bottles that they have are so small and expensive that you were going to seriously get like a small little taste of each one. Yeah, it was like a sip. And mostly, uh, John would be here, and he would, of course, correct us that you know every t- every year the uh, brewers are going to go and add different amounts of each different hops because usually you have two or three different hops uh, at the most or at the very least because you got to balance out the alpha and beta uh, acids and bases uh, because they're going to be different every year. The hops are going to grow differently. You know, the weather really will affect the uh, flavor characteristics of those hops. So that's why you normally see a mix. So, uh, but this mix again? This mix is perfect. Again. And I can't wait to have this again in a couple weeks. Um, spoilers, we will be doing a um, Oktoberfest head-to-head 
because Oktoberfest beers are coming out now since we're coming <laughs> up on September. After that, we were uh, talking about doing pumpkin. And then also John and I were talking the other day about maybe doing ciders again. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the fall season is awesome for beers for us. Yeah, if we're getting ciders, then I'm buying Guinness. <laughs> Do it. Snake bites. Snake bites are great. I'm looking forward to that. It's a half and half or a black and tan made with Guinness and a hard cider if you aren't aware of what a snake bite is and they are great and delicious i think we did snake bites on one of the first episodes of the bag broadcast yeah it was one of the earlier episodes yes it was delicious and we also did them with lambics yeah which are great and chocolate covered cherries which is that in cherry wheat which is the only way i drink cherry wheat now yeah it's too syrupy Mm -hmm. and sweet on its own you gotta have a cut with the guinness oh yeah you got to and uh, sometimes you got to have your avatar cut with some more avatar goodness, which is bending. That's right. You remember way back when ago, we talked about Avatar The Last Airbender. We uh, actually reviewed book number one as our movie fix. Yeah. We, I, that was back at the beginning of our uh, podcasting days. And then we talked about the Avatar The Last Airbender movie. Mm-hmm. So you could say we're a long-running Avatar last airbender podcast i I still say that movie is a complete waste of time i felt horrible for everybody involved even my anybody that went to see it (laughs) it was horrible uh, and night chamlon is ashamed and he has been serving a sentence of not doing movies (laughs) since i know you're now going to say well that elevator movie where they went to hell but the devil was in there with them yeah it was it was the old lady spoilers It was, yeah. Oh, I didn't know it was a thing. <laughs> I thought it was just an elevator to hell, and it just no, happened it was... that people would... I started watching it like halfway through. You don't need to see it. The movie's called Devil, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need to see it, much like the movie The Last Airbender. But you're probably going to watch the first three series of Avatar The Last Airbender before you jump into The Legend of Korra, which we're going to be discussing now. Yeah. It's... um. For the fans of the uh, steampunk universes, um, this is right up your alley. It takes place, uh, what, six to 80 years? It takes place a while. Because um, in the first series, you have main characters, Aang, Katara, and Sokka. They're mm-hmm. kids. They're probably about like, 10, 11 years old. Yeah, like maybe 13. In the sequel series, uh, Legend of Korra, mm-hmm. Katara is probably in her 80s. Sokka's dead and Aang is dead. Has passed, but you do see them in flashbacks. You do get a lot of flashbacks with the other characters mm-hmm. from the series, too. And um, so it's about 60 years after the last airbenders left off, or the third book. And uh, we're introduced to this new city uh, called Republic City, which Aang and um, Fire, Fire Lord, Lord Zuko, Zuko. Which I, I actually like hearing him refer to as Fire Lord Zuko. Mm-hmm. Because in the finale of the first season, or the first books, so spoilers. Yeah, if you haven't watched the first for three. both series here. Yeah. Avatar and Legend of Korra, because we're going to be going into everything that's happened. Uh, in Republic City, they built as a place where all nations, all peoples can come and live and uh, basically uh, teach each other. You know how to uh, how to better themselves, and in better themselves they have. Airships are now a normal thing. Police use the airships. They have radios. They have cars. They have electricity. Yeah, they have electricity that's powered by you know uh, fire benders doing lightning into uh, dynamos and doing stuff. But it's all very steampunk esque kind of looking uh, uh, situation, which was kind of a step from where I was used to 
with the original series where, where it was more very Eastern kind of influenced kind of look and feel. And this is definitely steampunk, I think, is a more Western kind of yeah. kind of a uh, mindset. So, and then we have Korra. The new avatar has been found from the Water Tribe. And she's a headstrong woman uh, that is doing, that wants to pick a fight first and figure out things later which is kind of the exact opposite of Aang, who was always looking for a way out of a fight, Mm -hmm. where she seems to be always willing to get into a fight. And you also have the difference just in their bending abilities, where Aang had to go around and learn how to master the different elements. Korra basically knew how to do everything right from the Mm get-go, except for airbending, which Aang was the master of. And, well, there was no airbenders left other than Aang, but here we are, we see that Aang has had a family, and they are the last airbenders yes. now. His family, uh, and his one of his sons <coughs> has married and developed another airbending family. <coughs> Paul's, Paul's enjoying that pumpkin maybe oh, yeah, too little, much. Maybe a little too much. Oh, man. Why am I forgetting uh, the airbender's name? Tenzin. Tenzin. There we go. Yeah, his uh, son Tenzin. Tenzin. He also has a son named Boomy mm-hmm. after the uh, Earth King from the first series. Yep. And um, those are the two sons, right? And that's it. They, and- he does have another child who's a non-bender. Mm. I'm blanking out on the name, though, because they don't really talk about him too much. The majority mm. of the series focuses on Tenzin trying to teach Korra airbending, while at the same time she has joined a pro-bending team. Mm-hmm. In the Fire Ferrets, where you get your two other members of Team Avatar with Bolin and Mako. Oh, yeah, I, I, I was blanking, I was blanking out. Which I believe is a uh, tribute to Mako, who passed while recording, while doing season two of uh, Legend or Last Airbender, the original series. Original voice of Uncle Iroh. Uh, Uncle Iroh. Uh, and he could not vote. He passed before season three uh, started, so they replaced him. <laughs> I think a lot of what you get with just even at the start of Legend of Korra is just showing how different the world is now. Mm-hmm. Um, bending is taking its place alongside just technology and the spirits seem to have been forgotten. Um, spirituality was a very big part of the original three books. Mm-hmm. Especially and, the first where he has to end uh, because Aang Ghost is a spirit world, you know? And even in the second book, they go to the library that's kind of a mix between the spirit world. And then in the third, you have the dragons, I guess? Yeah. Well, that was about learning where all the bending kind of mm-hmm. came from. Yeah. And, yeah, in this world, in this uh, in Republic City, because it all takes place in Republic City, we get very little glimpses of the rest of the world. Uh, the spirituality of bending has been forgotten, and, and that's where Korra ha- struggles with the most. You know, the connecting with her past lives. In fact, she has not been able to connect with her past lives uh, at the start of the season, uh, the start of the series, and has not been able to go into the Avatar state because she just cannot connect with that spiritualness. And she's supposed to be the bridge between the spirit world and our world. So, so you have just that her trying to learn, but then it can't be a cartoon without a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And you're actually given the bad guy in. I think what's really probably the most mature thing about the show is it's not like the evil Fire Nation. Mm-hmm. You have just a man inciting a revolution, Amon and his equalists who want to overthrow the bending regime that's, mm-hmm. he says, quote-unquote, not, not enslaving, but... Mm-hmm. 
take special privileges above the non-benders and Lord get away. Over. Yeah, get away with crimes, and they have killed people's families. And what has happened to them? Nothing other than we have to wait until other benders come and you know extract a, a, a justice. All the wars have been become a because of bending. So we should rise up, normal people, against them and take back our world. And you, you do see the numbers kind of swelling throughout the series and it does appear to be a threat um mm-hmm. at the end kind of leading up to it, we find Amon has the ability to take away people's bending mm-hmm. and he has many run-ins with Korra where it things don't go too well for her yeah and you see that for as headstrong and just like strong-willed as she is she's over like in over her head when she comes face to face with Amon mm-hmm. and um what I think is probably the one of my favorite parts of it, his chi blockers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, a nice carryover from the original series where people have the ability by striking various pressure points around the body, they can block people's bending. And I thought that was really cool kind of bringing that back in this. And it's not just, you know, one girl with um, Tai Lee who can do it, mm-hmm. but they've got basically a whole army of people that are trained to take out people with bending yeah but take out their uh, bending skills which you know even in team avatar the first team avatar you know non-benders played a part Sokka was part of the non-team was and also the kyoshi warriors yeah. were non-benders um even on the fire nation side tai lee was a non-bender uh so you know you never really thought in the first one that there was this real big dynamic or this split or schism between the two groups but here they really focus on it and i thought it was a good evaluation of yeah in this world where you have these benders that have all these amazing powers and can do you know move mountains with you know just their mind and having a powerful stance what what does it leave for the rest of the people you know uh what does it leave the sakas of the world yeah and uh yeah, I thought they really carried out a good examination of that after the first, like, five, six episodes of this 12-episode series. Because I thought they kind of got a little bogged down with the pro-bending. Mm-hmm. Because, honestly, in the first uh, series of, uh, you know, just the last airbender, you you knew every episode you were going to have a fight scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the story would develop and then you, it would, you know, be worthwhile the fight scene. It would play a part of the story. And here, Legend of Korra, it seemed like the they kind of, like, used it as a crutch. The pro-bending competition, which is, you know, you have this platform, like, maybe 50 feet up and uh, above a pool of water. And basically the object is to knock your opponents, your team, the other team of three, off the platform using bending. Um, so kind of a mix of martial arts and, uh, what's the, you know, sumo wrestling. Yeah. Kind of like that. Or just wrestling. I think for kind of how they're showing just the spiritual side of bending falling mm-hmm. by the wayside, that's a good way to show is like, yeah, you know, bending's for recreation now, or you've got local gangs. Yeah. The new like triads. The, the triple triads mm-hmm. or whatever they were called, like. They're using their bending to enforce, like, mm-hmm. their will on people. Yeah, because none of the triads would have airbending, so, that, of course, there would be three of them. Yeah. Because it's uh, one earthbender, one uh, firebender, and one uh, waterbender, and they would, you know, run run uh, 
you know, uh, like protection schemes, protection, stuff like that. There we go. Uh, rackets. Um, so I think that was a good way to give you your fight scenes without actual fight scenes, mm-hmm. because you still have Coral learning the ways of being an avatar, still learning her way around bending, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how you get to know her two team avatar. Yeah. Friends now with Bolin and Mako, and Mako's uh, girlfriend Asami, who is a non-bender. Mm-hmm. And you uh, see that kind of uh, that. Yeah, it's nothing to do with the spiritual. Really, there's even by the end of it, you really don't see her spiritual awakening until the very last episode yeah. of Koros. And I'm not sure if exactly that was earned or not. But she was definitely at her lowest point. Yeah. And when she's talking to Aang and Aang says, yeah, when you're at your lowest point, this is when you can face your most difficult challenges. You know, and like, all right, well, that's kind of earned it for me now, you know. Um, I, I think what I loved the series as much as I loved the original. Paul, I know you had kind of a special connection with yeah. the original because almost like Harry Potter, you were there for the beginning and you kind of watched it as it was coming out mm-hmm. like I did with those books and I feel kind of like we were talking before about how the books seem to mature with the readership mm-hmm. I think Avatar The Last Airbender did so as well with Legend of Korra because it you still get some of those yeah. kind of fun lighthearted moments but this is I think overall a much darker show it's no longer just kids mm-hmm. going on like Wild adventure, yeah. Where there were still some darker spots where you see, like, oh, no, all the air nomads have been knocked out in the first series. Mm-hmm. But just as a whole, like, the kind of civil uprising that you were getting. Mm-hmm. Or every, you know, the angst of Uncle Iroh, like, losing his son in battle yeah. and, like, retreating because of it. And, uh, you know, there were powerful moments there. And in this one, you know, I, it, I don't have as much of a connection to because I feel like it just took so long to get there. But by by the time that Amon shows up and breaks down the when basically the uh, pro bending tournaments are over, I'm like, yep, shit just got real. This is now I'm in. And th- this and is, took me those like five episodes. Yeah, they, they stretched it out, and this is something that we kind of talked about it in the Weekend Geek leading up to the release of the show. Is originally this was just going to be a mini series, mm-hmm. and then they extended it out into. A full season, and then they announced, "No, we're going to be doing a second season as well." Yeah. And as much as I enjoyed everything about this, it does watch like something that they were working on. Then all of a sudden, it's like, "Oh wait, we have more episodes now." Okay. Oh wait, we have to extend this out to a second season. Okay. Yeah. Because they do kind of just seem to draw things out more. I mean that. The uh, the pro bending stuff, mm-hmm. the uprising with Amon, the triangle or quadrangle. I don't know what you want to call it between. Yeah, it is much darker. This is something I forgot to mention. Yeah. Like you were saying, how it grew up, how it matured, and yeah, there's political intrigue here. There is stuff that you wouldn't expect a kid to really be interested in, because you have the secondary villain, who is uh, the. What is his name? Tarlock? Tarlock, yes. The councilman who's mm-hmm. basically councilman put together a task force mm-hmm. to combat Amon. And is using this kind of situation to bolster his own power. Yeah. You know, so you got him like taking advantage of the situation in order to maybe basically they be the Emperor Palpatine yeah. of of uh Avatar worlds, you know. Or 
situation. So, uh, yeah, it is much deeper in that way. But, uh, yeah, it. but they said, you know, the first uh, series were all, like, 22 episodes each. This was 12. Mm. So I feel like maybe they split it off after they got the rights to do one whole season. It was probably for a 24 or 22-episode season. And then they were like, well, we got this one story. And maybe they just couldn't get it to 22 mm-hmm. episodes, so they broke it off into two seasons after they had the miniseries. They're like, we have enough of a story to do a really good miniseries here. Oh, now we're doing a full season? Ooh, 24 se- episodes? Not quite for 24 episodes, and I'm glad they didn't do 24 episodes with yeah. this. And that's why they stretched out the pro bending here and did this other thing here. And I don't think when you watch it back-to-back... I don't think it'll feel stretched. It just felt stretched when I was watching it, like... When you're waiting. Waiting for those episodes to come out. But when you can pop in the next one and the next one, oh, it'll it'll flow a lot better. I I have to say, we haven't mentioned one of my favorite characters yet. It was actually um, Lin Beifong, who mm-hmm. is Toph, the Earthbender daughter from the first series. Let um, me tell you. The chief of police, also a metalbender. Not surprised that uh, Toph did not change her name. No. You know, she, she, uh, unless she had a lot of illegitimate children, which she might have, she might not have gotten married. Maybe that's why she, that's why Lynn Beifong has her mom's maiden name. Well, what I, what I like about this is we've gotten glimpses of the characters from the first series, mm-hmm. but nothing crazy. Like we know Aang and Katara mm-hmm. wound up together, but we don't see too much of their lives together. We know Sokka was around mm-hmm, because he was a councilman. Because he was a councilman. Um, we know Toph became the chief of police and trained everyone to become metal benders, which is awesome. Well, not everyone, just the police. The police force, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know too much about their histories. Like, there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff like are Sokka and Toph together because they kind of had a little bit of no. They had, some, they had some moments in the first one. It's Suki, now, who is the Kyoshi but, warrior in the moon. Now, okay. Princess Yue. He had Yue. <laughs> but now, Toph always had a little bit of a thing for Sokka. You go you go back and watch them. Uh, all right. Like, especially in, like, that third book in the first series. Like, she always kind of palling around with them. And mm-hmm. um, right when they're kind of fighting against the Fire Nation and she gets pulled out of the water by, I think it's the Kyoshi Warrior. What was her name? Suki. She thinks it's Sokka that did it. Ah. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. when they have the flashback to, I know this is all spoilers, um, everyone actually being bloodbended by Yakone, mm-hmm. Sokka it automatically like glances back to when he's kind of like tormenting Toph. Like he's watching her and he's got just like this horrified look on his face. Hmm. So I don't know. Not Suki. You hope it's Suki, but here... And this is all stuff that's been kind of rallying around in my brain, and I wanted to mm-hmm. actually do something about this, maybe like a bag and board bite, but I'm glad we're actually talking about it now because it gives us a chance to expand. Mm-hmm. Ty Lee, at the end of the first series, left with the Kyoshi Warriors. Warriors. Yep. She was the person that was a chi blocker. Like, she mm-hmm. learned it, I don't know where, like, she was in like a circus. She was in the circus. And yeah, I, um, she traveled the world, so I guess she became a great, the greatest martial artist. I guess there was something about Amon's mask that just reminded me of the Kyoshi Warriors face paint, 
And I thought maybe he was somewhat related to them, and that would explain the whole chi-blocking thing that mm-hmm. he taught his, like, equalist forces. Because if she shared her chi-blocking methods with the Kyoshi warriors, possibly he could have been descended from them. But then we find out that he's from a waterbending tribe in, like, the north or something. Yeah. So that, that kind of threw away my my thoughts mm-hmm. there. That that the reason why Amon and also Tarlek were trying to uh, raise to power in Republic City was because their father was uh, a corrupt, he was like the leader of the triads uh, back in his day, and he actually was a full-time bloodbender. As we're shown in the first series, bloodbending is possible by waterbenders, but only during a full moon. Except for this guy, who was so powerful he could do it whenever, except for a full moon, apparently, Um, for some reason. And hopefully this gets explained in the next series. Maybe there are spiritual things. Because Amon comes out and says that the so, so spirits have reached out and taught me this powerful uh, technique to rob people of their bending. Which, and they want me to bring balance to the earth. But we also saw Aang do that mm-hmm. to uh, Fire Lord Ozai. Zuko, Ozai. Yep. To his, like, Zuko's father. Mm-hmm. So, and he, and learned, he learned that from the spirits. Well, from uh, C. Sea lion, a sea turtle, turtle lion, <laughs> turtle lion. If you haven't watched lion Avatar, turtle? all all the animals are weird, like one. combinations of other animals, like turtle ducks, yeah, or platypus bear, platypus bears, fire ferrets, fire ferrets. Uh, there is just one bear who's just a bear bear, <laughs> yes. and that's the Earth King bear. Yeah, it belongs to the Earth King. And they actually make a joke. Wait, the Earth King has a bear? A bear? What? No, a bear. Just a bear? A bear? <laughs> and they're all confused by it, and I enjoy that That, joke that was funny. I forgot all about that. <laughs> um, this is kind of just jumping around, but one of the things I thought we were going to end mm-hmm. th- this season, or the first book, with Korra losing her bending, because during the final episode, she actually gets it taken away. Amon mm-hmm. beats her and Mako, takes it away, and that's when she learns that she can airbend. Like, the mm-hmm. whole first series was her learning how to become an airbender mm-hmm. to master the Avatar state. But she doesn't get that until all of her other bendings taken away. And I thought that was going to be an interesting way to go into that second book where, mm-hmm. okay, she's not the Avatar anymore. Yeah. Only in title, because she can only airbend. And I thought it was going to be more of her getting in touch with the spirit world mm-hmm. to learn all the other aspects to bending. Instead, we kind of get a uh, Deus Ex Avatar moment yeah. where Aang shows up and gives her back complete control over her bending spectrum. But it was never... See, the thing is, Aang took it away, and this is the thing when I when I was first watching Legend of Korra, I'm like, yeah, but when Aang did it, there was like this spiritual battle, battle that happened between him and Ozai, and the lion-turtle thing said, you know, only a pure of heart and pure and like strictest of the mind can do this technique. And if you can, and if uh, there is any doubt in your mind or corruption in your heart, you will be overcome and you will be corrupted by it. And um, so you see in the finale of Last Airbender, big spoilers here, you know, this battle like happening where Aang almost is completely overtaken. And then suddenly it pushes back, and Ozai loses his bending, and it's a big thing. And when Amon does it, it's a quick thing. And then I'm like, I'm like, that doesn't seem right. Like it should be this 
it should be a bigger thing. And then when you learn it's just him messing with, you know, using uh, blunt bending, it doesn't seem like it's okay. I can see her getting it back, you know. But because then, then she's also able to give people back their bending, like we. Because she's a waterbender. <laughs> she's a waterbender. Like, but first and foremost, she's a waterbender, so. And she sh- she's the avatar, so she should be the best waterbender? Yeah. You know, especially since it's her, you know, home turf. Yeah. So, like, she gathers up all the past lives and all the past airbender. All the past uh, avatars have mastered, you know, waterbending. They should be able to figure out a bloodbending way to undo it, even though Katara couldn't figure it out. But mm. even though Katara mastered bloodbending second to uh, Kami, what's her name, I think? I, I can't remember. The, like, it was like the old The episode, uh, season three, called The Puppet Master. Which, which is, is an awesome episode. Creepy as all hell. And that's probably one of the darkest episodes of that entire first series because it mm-hmm. it's such a dark episode, not just in terms of story, but like the aesthetics of it. It's all very mm-hmm. muted and creepy. Yeah. And Especially at the end. Yeah, it's an it's an awesome episode. It's, bloodbending is basically the... Uh, what is it? The Imperius Curse of uh, yeah. from uh, from uh, Harry Potter trilogy. So, but uh, yeah, that is def- the Puppet Master. Definitely the creepiest episode, saddest episode. Toss between uh, Appa's Last Day, a Lost Day, yeah, or uh, Tales from Bossy The Tales from Bossy Say is a really good one. The Uncle Iroh mini like five minute thing that was really sad. Brave little soldier boy. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, I. I feel like we didn't get as much of a connection to the new batch of characters as we did in the old ones, just because there's a lot of characters that were thrown at us mm-hmm. just in, like, one season than we had kind of spaced out over the three books. Yeah, because we didn't get Toph until basically the middle of book two. Yeah. So, but we did have the trinity of Sokka, Katara, and Aang from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And th- that was the center of this show, and then you get off and then you get Suki and then you get you know and um the three girls um Tylee, Azula and my my Miley Miley yeah and Miley uh are introduced all in the second book also so second season so yeah the cast of characters were able to expand from the first 22 episodes first 24 episodes so I do understand your point there but because basically we know everyone right from the get go in this mm-hmm. one like Maybe from the third episode on, we're not. Yeah, they're we not. We already have all anybody. those characters mm-hmm. until the very end when we get Tenzin's uh, younger brother Boomy showing up. Yeah, but he shows up just. He, he shows up like right at the very mm-hmm. end, and I. Oh, well, we get the new General Iro. We, we do. Is he General Iro or I, I believe Commander Iro? Because he's in. He could be Admiral Iro because he's in charge of like that the, the Republic fleet. The the United Nations of uh, forces, you know. They, then now everybody has the uh, one one nation army. Yeah, but um, we've got uh, Zuko's yeah son son here as well, and he's actually voiced by uh, what's his name Dante Brasco. Brasco, yeah, it's his last name's Brasco, and I think uh, you're right. It is Dante. who did the voice of Zuko in the first one. You might also know him as Rufio from Hook. Yeah, which is Paul's least favorite movie ever, I guess. One of no <laughs> last next air to, next to anything with Bill Murray and Avatar the Last Airbender. Last Airbender is the worst movie I've ever paid to watch. 
Ice. And I saw Skyline. Sky, uh, and I yeah, to watch Skyline. Skyline. Pretty bad, but I. I still think Avatar is a little bit better than Skyline. Nope. <laughs> um, you know what the, the last Airbender was? It's this. If you wanted to pay for a movie of us just telling you what happened, that's what you paid for when you watched. I I really feel like that movie was just trying to do a little bit too much. Like they were trying to feel like, okay, here's the entire book one. Yeah, and where we got we an Avengers movie of two and two hours and forty five minutes, and yeah. you only give you know. When I saw the runtime for Last Airbender, that's when I became worried. I, I think there was some stuff they could have cut out of there because they didn't need it all. They needed to do something different. But with it, a lot of it. It wasn't great, but it wasn't... Can't uh, keep on rehashing it. Besides the point. <laughs> besides the point, indeed, sir. Katara, Last Airbender. I keep on mentioning was only 12 episodes, but for and then we're going to get a second season. But actually, what's happening is book two... Of the first season, which is different uh, than what was happening with the original series, is going to be continued, uh, and it's going to be called Spirits, which is getting away from the normal uh, trope of naming the books after an element, which is awesome, because that means there's going to be, for the second season, 24 more episodes. Which is cool, so two chapters? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, because their seasons were called books. Mm-hmm. So what do we call them being broken up into Well, this was mini- still called a book. It, it was a book, so... It's book point five? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of names now. Yeah. Well, each... No, every episode was called chapter. Yeah. So, but, you know, that's kind of besides the point also. But So I'm more excited to see what's happening uh, for the next... Uh, 36 episodes. And I think it's going to be at least another year before we see... Yeah, they're saying sometime maybe in 2013. Um, which hopefully they're a little bit more focused and centered, like, prepared what they want to do mm-hmm. with it now that they've got the first, like, introductory chapters out of the way. Because mm-hmm. um, I really want to see where this goes, and I really want to be wowed by each episode. I would be severely depressed if they now decide to jump further into the future again. Because, you know, they've left off in a pretty interesting space where she is now kind of connected to the spirit world. And let's see what havoc has been reached uh, throughout. Because even in the first, you know, series, you know, Aang would run up and there would be a spirit running amok on the world. You had that panda bear creature killing people in that one village Mm -hmm. because the forest was burned down. I can only imagine what's happening in this Republic City world of uh, Legend of Korra. Yeah, because it's basically the spirit world's been mm-hmm. all but forgotten. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm really looking forward to seeing the actual overarching plot, and then just kind of those character moments because I think we did get some strong characters mm-hmm. out of this. Um, Tenzin's awesome. Tenzin's great. Like. Tenzin is everything you want your airbending master to be. Like, he's just like such a likable guy, even though he's strictly business. He's strictly business, which is the exact opposite of Aang, who was always kind of about fun and penguin sledding or whatever. Yeah. You know, penguin sque- seal sledding and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> we really didn't talk about uh, Mako or Bolin too much. Mm-hmm. Um, two brothers... One a firebender, the other one an earthbender, which I guess bending's not genetic then? It or could hereditary? Be. It could be. 
Who's to say that their father wasn't a firebender and their mom was an earthbender? Okay. And it just happens, you know? Okay. It's like it's it's Republic City. We, who knows? They, there's intermarrying between the bending nations now. It's no longer a bunch of different nations. They're all joined together. Which, nation. which uh, Avatar Roku said, no, there's, there are four nations for a reason. So I'm hoping in spirits, maybe this is where we see the backlash to Aang basically doing exactly what Fire Lord, the first Fire Lord, I'm for, um, Jose? No, um, oh. the na- Sozin. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sozin's comment. You know, Sozin is like, no, hey, listen, we've been doing great things with the, in the Fire Nation. Look at what we have accomplished. We're seeing great prosperity for all our people. We should share it with the rest of the world. And Sozin's so, like, no, we can't be doing do, that. Can't be creating Fire Nation you, colonies. Do you see everything being segregated then? Like at the end of Legend of Korra. Do you see everything being like we're back to an Earth Kingdom, water tribes, air nomads, Fire Nation? Like, do you are we going to go that way? Well, you still had an air bending island, air temple island. Yeah, you know they were still so segregated from the rest of the only city. Only four airbenders left, though. It's Tenzin and his three kids. Yeah, very true. But the, the, you also had the the only place that were united was the White Lotus. Mm-hmm. And you Which I'm glad they kind of came back. They did kind of come back, but they were no longer the philosophers. They, you know, were, the, they were no longer the philosopher warriors. They, they were, were just... Avatar's bodyguards. Yeah, and they weren't anything cool anymore. So that was kind of depressing in this new series. Um, and they were no longer the secret society. They were just like the... Yeah, they were the Avatar's bodyguards. And they set off to find the new Avatar, which was kind of weird. Um, but... Yeah, so they were the only ones. So you would think that the White Lotus would be kind of in charge of things in the new... But they weren't. Well, who who knows, though? Because that's something that we could see the evolution of. Yeah. Because we still don't know what happened to all those characters that we had from the first series. Like, we don't know what actually happened to Toph and Sokka. Mm -hmm. Like, we know they're not around anymore. Yeah. I want to know what happened to them. I'm hoping that... Sokka became the leader of the White Lotus because he was the only one from the Avatar yeah. thing to be inducted into the White Lotus. Yeah. And he didn't even know what was going on yep. with it. He just got a Paicho tile, which um, I want to learn how to play. Which, um, spoilers for you, Paul. I was trying to find a Paicho tile to get you for your birthday. Yeah. And, like, I was, like, checking around on, like, Etsy and yeah. eBay and. To see if someone was making them, because I thought that would be cool for you. That would be awesome. No. No. So I might start doing that, just like making them out of Play-Doh and baking it or something. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, they definitely seem like they're clay. Yeah. And they're kind of round, but not quite. It's small enough that Mm -hmm. it's like checkers, but I don't know. I don't know what that show really is. No, nobody does. It's It's like pro-bending. It's there, but the rules really don't make sense for it. Nope, but you know, I see that you uh, favor the white lotus gambit. <laughs> I don't see many people clinging to those old ways. And there's another. Reason. It's the it's a call and response. <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember thing. it. Man, but it was oh, good. I I uh, kind of going back. I do love these new characters. I mm-hmm. like Asami. Yeah. Um, her father actually was one of the equalists and building. Like weapons for them under like 
under the city. He had a secret base. And I was watching these episodes as soon as they were available mm-hmm. online. In some cases, I might have watched them on sites that were less <laughs> than legal streaming. Because um, the one kid I work with, Brian, he loved the original Avatar. And we would always talk about the new episodes. And, like, the big thing we would talk about, Asami, is she going to be good mm-hmm. or bad? Like, where is she going? Because... We don't know. Yeah. Because she's got stuff against Korra because her boyfriend's got a thing for her, yeah. the Avatar. Where does that leave just a little non-mending girl? And also, you know, her father is definitely a pro-equalist on yeah. that and uh, to go against her family. And also, she has a reason to hate benders because her mom was killed by a firebender. Yeah. You know? Which seems to be a thing that kind of goes throughout the entire series because it happened to... Uh, Katara. Katara. It happened to Amon said that his parents were killed by a firebender, but, you know. It was a lie. It could just be, like, one of those things, like, you just say to kind of gain ground. Yeah. Well, because there's a lot of, it's kind of like, I don't know, the Germans, I guess, right after World War II. You would just blame things on the Germans, I guess, and that's why, no, we call them hot dogs and not frankfurters, you know? It's true. That's, yeah. That's, yeah, I never thought of that, so. Rename stuff. Because of that animosity. So I think that's what we're kind of seeing there, that uh, kind of, um, you know, uh, xenophobia, maybe. I don't know. That's not probably not the correct word. No, but there's just that... Nationalism? Yeah. There we go. That's that's probably a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. It's just... But how, how do you have that when you've got Republic City? Yeah, exactly. Like, how do you still hate a group of people that you're living alongside... Mm-hmm. And it does seem like Prince or Fire Lord Zuko basically led, you know, the Fire Nation basically led this charge of new cooperation and togetherness in order to create this new band of uh, Royal Republic City for one and the new General uh, Army of all nations that I forget the name of. Can coalition forces? <laughs> no, no, that's not it. It, United there, Forces. There's a new. There's a new army mm-hmm. belonging to Republic City. Yeah, and the United I, Forces. I think they're called. Just from what we saw of the new Iro, mm-hmm. he's a pretty badass character. He's flying around, mm-hmm. like using his firebending. Like it was kind of kind of cool. They did that in the original series, too. Oh, but, but not with such yeah. precision. That's true. Um, but yeah, we've got planes now. There's airships. Yeah. Like, when you, that's what when you first hear that, like, awesome. yeah, when you <laughs> first hear that, like, buzzing sound, like, I didn't expect planes to come around a building there, mm-hmm. like, they're by like, planes. Then it's like, oh crap, they've got planes. Nobody's prepared for this because they've <laughs> yeah. never seen them before. They got airships. Those things get shot down quick. Yeah, um, I, I'm a fan of this new world, and it it did have its hiccups. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you know, it took me a while to get in, but once I got in, I was, I, I, I fell in love with the series again. You know, I'm like, nope, this is definitely Avatar, less airbending. See, I'm, I'm glad you felt that way because I was a little worried that I was so excited for it, and then you were going to be like, nope, it's not that good. <laughs> it's, not it's not as good as, good as, as the original. original. So I'm glad to hear you actually say, like, yeah, I've, it's a little bit slow going into it, mm-hmm. but then, like, man, I, I love it. You know, like, I still haven't found a character quite as much as I've loved Toph from the original. Lin. Lin, Lin Beifong. Lin Beifong is close. 
she's that she's badass a, character that you know she's badass right from the get go. Yeah. And then when you have that episode of her just when she's being awesome and Batman. tearing down like airships, <laughs> yeah. And I, I was upset when she was about to have her bending taken away. I was like, no, that's not happening. It did happen, and it did happen. But then. Yeah, you this, get back. this is that whole like, oh yeah, she just got it back because Cora gave it to her, and it was one of those moments that I feel was a little bit cheapened. That's kind of one of those little mm-hmm. hiccups that I mentioned before okay. because that was such a powerful moment. Like, this is that character that I loved in the series, mm-hmm. and she basically sacrificed herself trying to take out the opponent's airships yeah. so the Airbenders could get away, mm-hmm. but they were still caught. Yeah, for somehow we didn't see that heaven because mm-hmm. it looked like they were gone yeah but besides the point and then she had her bending taken away and then just kind of like languishing there and then it's just like oh boop you got it back it was one of those things where it's just like oh yeah but maybe the price is to be paid in spirits in the you know second book here. Ho- hopefully you know they're might be a backlash now. Not that I want to see her but suffer. But it's not really a spiritual thing. Like I said, like if it was an actual like struggle with if Amon actually had to struggle with it and it was like a spiritual thing, like Ang did, and all of a sudden they're just bringing their powers back, then I would be upset. But since it was just a blood bending, a bending trick, trick, yeah, then I'm like, well, um, it's not. It's kind of like, okay, you're not really doing anything quite so far out of the norm there I I feel it, like it cheapens it so do you have any thoughts on villain for the second part of the first season book two because at the end of book one we have Tarlock and mm-hmm. Amon on a boat together the two Spoilers. kind of big ads mm-hmm. of the first book mm-hmm. together it seems like they're going to be teaming up yeah and then uh, their boat might explode um, do, you, do you think maybe they're going to be back, like one of them? No, I, I think it's if there was a spirit, if they do come out and say, no, there was a spirit that taught Amon, or I forget his actual name, uh, how to use bloodbending to take away the bending. I'm blanking out on it. Yeah, it's not Tarlock, it's, you know, but it's close. It's not you. Oh, man. Yukun. No, because nope. that was his father's name. Oh, yeah. As soon as I see it, I'm looking it up online as but, we speak. you know, if they reveal that there was a spirit that actually, that he actually found and taught him how to take away bending, that spirit is the big bad, definitely see it. It's called spirits. I'm assuming this... There's no attack. No attack. Uh, I'm assuming there is a spirit that is going to be the big bad for this, this upcoming season. I, I'd, I'd like to see... One of those two back? Well, like an actual big bad that's a little bit more in touch with the spirit. Mm-hmm. Just kind of go back on that. But I, I like the crazy new, like, hey, look, we've got automobiles now. Don't they do? I, I, I still like to see that stuff kind of growing and evolving still instead mm-hmm. of just kind of being pushed aside and not mentioned. Yeah. Because they're focusing on the spirits more. I want some sort of melding of that. And I don't know if it. The shadow running. Of them. Yeah, <laughs> so, basically. So a, a steampunk with magic. Yes. Steampunk mages. Yes, mage punks. No, steam mages. Steampunk. Steam. Well, it is already called steampunk. Uh, 
steam magic, a high steampunk fantasy. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's what exactly want. what I want. Yeah, because honestly, if you think about this, Avatar: The Last Airbender was a high fantasy. It was a threat that it uh, could affect the entire world, and they had to travel the entire world. And there were dragons. And there's dragons. And, that's, a, that's how I equate and, it to high fantasy. Are there dragons? Okay. And there's high ma- high use of magic. And in this, it's one city, and it threatened the one city. Mm. So it's kind of a lower fantasy. Your Dragon Age Origins versus your Dragon Age 2. More political intrigue in Dragon Age 2. More political intrigue? Which was building, though, towards that big, mm-hmm. like, sprawling epic again, though. Yeah, and I'm hoping that we kind of get back to that sprawling epic where she's traveling the world doing Avatar things. Because I, I would like to see the rest of this world now. We've seen one city. Is the rest of the world still like that? Mm-hmm. Or is it basically smaller kingdoms still? Yeah. I want to see some Avatar state. Yep, yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> Let us know what you want. Or if you've never seen Avatar, check it out and let us know what you thought about it. I hope you paused and listened to this episode after you watched Avatar, because otherwise... Well, she spoiled everything in two entire series for you. Yep. We gave you time. We, we did. We, we always preface it off with spoilers. And if you listen to us, you should know by now. Yeah. We, when we do a review, it's spoiler intense. But let us know. Contact at bangboardcast.com or individually, uh, Chris Paul at bangboardcast.com. Or if you want to ask John why he wasn't here, John at com. Or you can hit us over at the Facebook. Just write a post there. And as always, there is one thing that I love reading the most. It's more than the back of the box of my breakfast cereal. It is more than my mid-year reviews at work. Because More than Fantastic remember. Four? Even more than Fantastic Four. I enjoy reading iTunes ratings and reviews for the Bagnum Podcast. So please do a search for Bag and Broadcast. You found us. You know where we are on the iTunes. And even if you don't down- read us on- or download using iTunes, leave us a rating and review there. Because honestly, the number one way we get uh, new listeners is from getting rates and reviews on iTunes and getting bumped up that podcast list. We're- Absolutely. And we haven't talked about Avatar on our YouTube channel, but you can check us out over there just because we talk about a lot of comic books. Just uh, our channel is Bag and Board. Yep. YouTube it up. 